Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. This is Bilal Zaidi, and we have got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, and Trung fan, me, Master Flex himself, lead writer at The Hustle. What's going on, boys? Good, man. What's happening? Wait, uh, if, if you're listening to this now, this would have been two weeks since we last recorded, yeah? Because last week's episode would be the, the super evergreen doesn't matter if it's timely or not. Peace You're giving about, the secret uh, away, Trung. You're giving yeah, it away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, for people listening, the last episode we recorded a couple of weeks ago because I was going to be in the countryside in the uh, UK. So we, we, I wasn't going to have Wi-Fi. But that messed up anyway. So uh, we're, we're back, back in New York now, boys. So No, no, but, Trung, uh, but go on. just to confirm, last episode is the charity one, right? Yeah, I don't even know because it's not even out yet. Listen, yeah, guys, yeah, that's coming we're living out, in like, the past future it doesn't matter if you're listening to this you're time traveling with us uh but uh no Trying, I just, just say, about tell us about your kid man your kid has got some fancy taste you're about to no, go out man to i'm telling you guys because we're supposed to record for two hours so i mean i know there's a couple of haters in our youtube chat being like yo trunk like stfu well this, this is the episode for you because i'm gonna have to bounce in an hour uh we're supposed to eat lunch at home but my kids reached the age now where a he can talk a lot and b he has very specific food preferences <laughs> so, so where's he taking eat. him well he we're supposed to eat at home and I, if he ate at home my wife would have just fed him some normal whatever chicken and rice but he wants to eat sushi so i gotta leave in an hour to go take him to eat sushi and he's literally about to eat an avocado roll a lobster roll and a crab roll like his three favorites that's three and a half, three and and a half years old he's, he's eating lobster rolls think about that living um, a good life i know so anyways that's i got but tldr i got rugged by my my kid <laughs> my kid rugged me <laughs> all right boys this is a pack, pack episode today so we're gonna get straight to it today we're gonna talk about coinbase sec briefly uh theranos that has been going on as well um we'll talk a little bit about solana um and some kind of stuff happening in that ecosystem ftx and the brady ad the goat uh, that's kind of related to Solana as well. And then the big stuff, we're going to give Jack the reins just to, to share some crazy stuff. So uh, all this new NFT stuff that he's been investing in and looking at um, and kind of his process for that. So, yeah, let's just kick it off. <laughs> Trung, what I are you saying? Say not, not investment advice. Not like investment literally. Advice. <laughs> all right. But yes, having said that. preface everything with that. Yeah, if you are here and you hate Trung and you love Jack, this is your episode. You <laughs> will love, you leave a review on Apple. Trung, like what, episode, comment, what comment hit you, man? There, was a, there must have been a comment. No, I, I love it. I just, no, no, none of them hate me, man. It's, I love the hate. Just if if I'm like Emperor, I'm like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars, man. It's just I can feel the hate surging through me. Uh no, I'm good, man. Let's uh, let's hit it. What we, what uh, let's talk about first? so to, talking to Trung. So Trung, you're probably the best person to go to for this. Coinbase and SEC. Uh, Brian Armstrong, the founder and CEO of Coinbase, had this thread um, where he's kind of call. I don't I don't know if we want to say calling out, but he's kind of transparently sharing what has happened from Coinbase's side. But a lot of people are saying, hey, man, this is kind of brave or or stupid, depending on what side. Well, there's the- a couple There's a couple things to tease out here. Let me, let me touch on uh, what uh, the thread was about uh, regarding Coinbase and the SEC and then tease out a couple other uh, like super 50,000 foot things about uh, uh, what Bilal you alluded to. Like people are like, oh my God, what's this guy doing? So the SEC 
basically is threatening to sue. Maybe even at this point, if you're listening to this now, they might have already uh, hit Coinbase with a lawsuit around a lending product that Coinbase was going to release. And kind of the gist of it is, if you listen to this episode or you're in kind of the crypto ecosystem, you know that some of this DeFi lending that Bilal talked about like 10 episodes ago is, is crazy, right? Like if you own Ethereum or any of these other coins, you can kind of put them in a pool and uh, people get to lend those pools out for people to use those coins uh, for staking or whatever other crazy stuff you can do it for. Yeah, and like return- yield farming. What yeah, you're saying there farming. is the more advanced yield farming, but there's yeah. also like simpler basic staking, like you can stake on Ethereum and earn five, 6% uh, right. and stuff like that. So basically yeah, you can do on. stuff with these coins and receive interest on it, right? Exactly. So Coinbase wanted to roll this product out for their users because obviously Coinbase has tons of, I wouldn't call them deposits, but people have digital wallets with Coinbase and they hold a lot of crypto. Uh, I don't know what the number is, but I think I think they hold something like 20 or 30% of all the crypto in America. So a lot, right? And basically uh, Coinbase is like, all right, well, you know, if people are just leaving it here, let's try to give them interest. And one way you can do that is what you described, Bilal, is like you can pull uh, uh, kind of these uh, coins together. You just take Bitcoin as an example. You pull Bitcoins together and you can lend it out to somebody for whatever reason they want it. And then you get interest in return. And um, this is where the problem is with SEC. So there's a couple points here. And Matt Levine from Bloomberg, probably the best writer about finance in the world, he broke it down and he he kind of put like a six point, like bullet points about what's going on. He goes, okay, the SEC does not like crypto. We get that. So that makes sense. Okay. So the SEC is a regulatory agency and they like to regulate things. The problem is this, Bitcoin and Ethereum or Ether are not securities. So they actually can't regulate Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? Or Ether. However, if you're pooling funds together and creating a mechanism where people can pull Bitcoin and earn interest on it, that is now a security. So the SEC has found a way to regulate crypto, right? And they're going to take that opportunity. And uh, they basically went, okay, this looks like a security product. We are going to exercise our right to regulate it. And Brian Armstrong and we talked about this in a couple previous episodes. His whole point, uh, the CEO of Coinbase, the founder of Coinbase is like, okay, we just want crypto to have the same playing field as the rest of finance, right? Like just give us whatever the bank industry has and whatever kind of uh, the investment industry has. Let us play on that playing field and don't put up all these walls where we can't compete. So in the eyes of the crypto community, the SEC basically telling Coinbase that they can't do this or that they're going to sue Coinbase until Coinbase explains what this lending product is, um, uh, strikes as you know an unlevel playing field. And the reason Brian Armstrong brought that up is because it's not very clear what exactly, which part of uh, Coinbase's plan is in the wrong, right? The SEC didn't even say, maybe by this time uh, the recording comes out, they will have clarified their position. But the TLDR is that basically there's a, a law from 1946 that SEC is using to call this lending product Coinbase is doing a security and now they get to regulate it. So the whole process is kind of murky right now. And even people on both sides of it are, uh, even on the sides of the regulator are admitting that like, this is all evergreen. They're still trying to figure out how to regulate crypto. And this is this wasn't super clear why Coinbase is getting slapped while other exchanges are kind of getting away with similar products. And Trunk, just to add to that. So like Gemini owned by the Vinkovos twins or started by them anyway, 
um they they already have something very similar like i don't right. know the technical side if how it's different on the legal side but just as a user i've used it you go in it's called earn you click a button and it pretty much lends out your stuff and you earn three yeah. to five or whatever percent that they offer and so from what i could see coinbase was trying to launch something very similar and and just to give some context as well i think this is such an important development for the whole industry because because we can all see, we're seeing all this crazy yield farming stuff where people are getting 30 50 crazy percent yield right and that to most people is not what they're ever going to get close to doing but if someone can go into their chase bank account and press a button and actually get paid five six percent on their us dollars every single person would do that pretty much right yeah. and that but what they were about to introduce they were going to um do this on stable coins like usdc i think yeah. and that that's just a great you know, uh, uh, ramp onto this whole new ecosystem. And then obviously in the back end, uh, Coinbase can be doing a lot more advanced stuff and making a lot more money than 6% plus charging a fee. So obviously we know the SEC isn't really a fan or they're trying to like slow things down. They're, they're trying to like get to grips with it. Um, but I think from my side, as an amateur, I was reading it. It just didn't make sense, the inconsistency between the two you know, right, exactly. Those two competing firms, like you're basically allowing one to do this and another you can't. So d did you have any idea like why that was the case? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I think that's why Brian Armstrong is, is pointing it out. It's like, you know, the laws are unclear. We're happy to abide by the law. Just tell us what it is, right? And this is all part, I mean, there is, I mean, I think a big part of it might just be Coinbase is the biggest target. They are clearly have the most mind share. They're the largest market cap in the United States company uh, in that space. And if SEC wants to make an example, to go after Coinbase, right? And Balaji has talked about it. We talk about Balaji all the time. He said that there's going to be a number of regulatory attacks against crypto. And it started with uh, three, four episodes ago. We we're talking about the infrastructure bill that included this language around uh, basically ha hamstringing the Ethereum ecosystem over the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? And with, Picking by the way winners. You described. Picking exactly. winners and losers, yeah. And Brian Armstrong spoke uh, out about that. So there's one more thing I want to talk about uh, regarding the the SEC here. And then we'll talk about more of this 50,000 foot level stuff where you touched on about where like people are saying Brian Armstrong is brave. So that actually goes on to more about Brian Armstrong and Coinbase in general. So the what Matt Levine says actually, and you touched on it below, is like, Okay, Coinbase can probably do this, and the way you frame it is like it really much. It's like a bank, right? It's like, but the thing is, if Coinbase wants to go down this route, the SEC could really just say, okay, we'll give you a bank charter, and now you get regulated like a bank, which is going to be a lot tougher than kind of the way you're regulated now, right? Because at a bank, and the re and part of the reason why you're making 0.01% on your savings account or checking account, whatever, it's pathetic, right? Is then banks have to have almost a hundred percent capital to how uh, you know the the loan the basically the equity ratio to whatever the deposits are has to be almost one to one now, and and at Coinbase that's not the case. So there is that trade off. Both sides kind of have an argument. I think at the end of the day it goes to this: is like is there clarity around the regulation? So now I'll take it back to Coinbase, and you're talking about Brian Armstrong being framed as brave. I think what people are saying is like. He's kind of doing what Elon's doing, right? Elon has had this multi-year beef with the SEC. He did the 420 tweet in 2018 saying, I'm taking Tesla private at 420, funding secured. 
none of that was true. Uh, and clearly securities violation. But at the end of the day, what did the SEC do? They fined him and Tesla 20 million each, just irrelevant to Elon. And Elon was supposed to have a lawyer look at all his tweets. Doesn't really happen. It doesn't matter. And I think Brian Armstrong is kind of taking the same position. Elon, he's controlling the narrative the way he knows how is through his Twitter account. And it's the same way that Coinbase has its entire own media arm. And how six months ago, Coinbase front run a New York Times story about how it uh, uh, doesn't have quote, unquote enough diversity at Coinbase. They heard that this story is coming out on a Monday. They wrote a blog post on the fall, the, pre, the prior Friday and being like, hey, listen, the New York Times is going to write about us. So we're actually going to front run this story and uh, we're going to give our narrative. And so this all goes to uh, Coinbase very much kind of taking the Elon playbook of we're going to control our own narrative. And it's really important because of crypto is if you're letting the mainstream media control the narrative, there's going to be FUD left, right, and center. Not to say that there aren't insane things happening in the crypto world, but uh, we're seeing this. They have their own media arm. Uh, Coinbase has been very vocal about that. They're building their own media arm. They want to have their own narrative and uh, old media doesn't like it. So I think that to frame it, there's those two pieces, the actual what's happening that's seeing Coinbase right now. And then them building their own media arm separately. I mean, Jack, I know that you're, you're fully understand people building their own media arm distribution. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious about the, um, whether or not this plays out at, like it draws so much attention to the fact that Coinbase is able to offer a superior return on your capital. Like right. it's a dangerous game to play in public. And I think like Brian Armstrong drawing that conversation out into the public maybe brings people into that or makes people aware of that conversation that before wouldn't have been like, what is all this about? Oh, Coinbase wants to offer me 6% on my money <laughs> yeah. and my bank accounts offer me 0.01%. So it may, you know, it may backfire in that sense too, because no such thing as bad press around this idea that they can get you a better return on your capital over the long term. And the the crazy thing about crypto is it's, I don't know where Coinbase operates. I know it operates yeah, in the UK as well, Bilal. I don't know if like the rest of Europe or globally, but it's kind of, it's kind of beyond the SEC in, in some respects too, mm. right? Because there are countries that are friendly to this stuff. They'll be like, yeah, you could throw that feature into Coinbase yeah, in it's a great point. jurisdiction X. I'm sure there are ways to set up businesses in different places. So I think the mo the most interesting part of this story to me is like, do American consumers of financial products just look at this and be like, what? Like you're supposed to be protecting American, you know, American investors' money. And if, you know, your idea of doing that is keeping us stuck at sub 0.5% returns, you know, yeah. <laughs> obviously the volatility of crypto excluded, which could and violate NFTs the entire point. And yeah. random uh, <laughs> yeah, cartoon yeah. animals. <laughs> Yeah, I got like I could go on a on a rant about the idea of volatility in crypto in general, just because it is this early thing, right? That we could talk about that at length in a different episode. But the philosophy of this thing is we want to uh, incentivize people for holding on to money, saving, et cetera, et cetera, and that that incentive is going up in that world and down in the traditional financial world, which is like regardless of how crazy it is in the present moment 
that's i think the story that people are going to latch on to and i think you know coinbase or whoever can offer that has to win out long term right this you will build a superior product and attract more people to it yeah jack another thing to add there i've even seen forget like the general public i've seen like technology investors like our big brother podcast from the all in uh pod the all in podcast boys jason calicanis who also has this week in startups even he was posting on twitter and he's got a funny relationship with crypto it seems um but you know something he tweeted out was like can someone explain like how they're able to offer six percent in the first place and again he's investing so many things like i don't expect him to know the answer to every single thing like this but it just shows me that someone like him who's doing a podcast with chamath who's gonna buy the hamptons with bitcoin right and like all the other dudes on the pod he's pretty savvy right compared to an average american consumer like most people still wouldn't understand you know why where that can even come from and why why uh, you've always been taught growing up like if it sounds too good to be true it normally is too good to be true and in some ways that's still true with parts of crypto for sure right like there's some there's some overheated crazy stuff going on that we've we talk about in this podcast but at the same time i think the the key thing which we've talked about in this podcast before is when you take out the middleman and i'll get to coinbase being a middleman in a second but when you take out the middleman aka the banks in most cases here you can lend stuff directly to people you can take that pie and split it by two versus splitting by three and that's generally the principle i think right there's but then there's the extra upside of all the crazy yield that is being generated and um from all the not, crazy not stuff lending that's going advice. On. not lending, not lending advice. advice for sure <laughs> no. exactly i was just gonna say go back i don't know what episode it was where trung was talking about his banking internship but like two or three percent of that return (laughs) is being eaten up by those dumbass emails going back and forth yeah exactly so it's like when you can and most of this stuff is like code right it's it's money it's contracts it's there is a certain degree of like human intervention that is not required but it's still being paid for in a lot of instances and i'm not arguing that you could just you know delete humans from the process of managing money and like banking but there is certainly bloat there and the difference is code versus human labor like that is where the return is and if like jason jason I think understands that at a fundamental yeah, level. Yeah, I think it's he like, knows that as well as anyone. Yeah, that, that you've the, all the startups that have been successful that you've invested in have taken a process that used to be managed by people and messy and like not codified and codified it. And that's what is happening here. It's just the stakes are way higher than like ordering a taxi when you have 20% of America's net worth in this vehicle. So I can see both sides of the argument. And then also the, the the phrase that's used for something like this is the deflationary deflationary uh, nature of technology, right? Like it brings costs down in most cases, uh, makes thing instead of having a hundred employees, you might need twenty employees, like you just described there. So yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting story for that reason. Even by next week, when you guys hear this, uh, we, there probably will be some updates by then. But I think just a general principle of this argument that's going to keep happening for many years to come in public with the governmental bodies and these companies who don't want to sit around waiting for regulators to allow them to do stuff for the permission. And understandably, there's problems with that too. But I just remember like a story of, is it Bird Scooter? The, one of those scooter companies 
like uh, it was someone from Uber, I think, who started it. And he was just like, if I if I waited to get permission from the LA local government or whatever to do this, I would be waiting until 2029. Right? Yeah. And they just bought a, a batch of these scooters, threw them in, created an app, left them on the sidewalk and people figured it out. And like that, you know, there's been some challenges with that too, but that's the sort of world we're coming from. <laughs> and, and if you go. <laughs> no, I was just saying, it's like, uh, no, I, I think we're going... I mean, all this regulatory is like, yeah, hey, regulation is getting away. It's like, yeah, there's some insanity happening. But no, I agree, man. It's like uh, there has to be a middle ground, right? Yeah, I think, the I, think uh, I think something interesting is that at the end of the day, you have to remember that these people, they're people, right? That people at the SEC, imagine you're a regular at the SEC, not even the main guy. You're, you're somebody who worked their way up, right? You're, uh, you're not Gelsner, I think is the, 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 the commissioner chair. I can't remember what the title was, but uh Let's say you're somebody who's been SE for 15 years. Just think about it, right? You went to law school. Like, you spent the last 15 years looking at all these cases. Like, you're a person, right? You have ego. You're built into this job. It's like, oh, there's this huge parallel financial system that's coming up. And right now, we can't regulate it? Okay, cool. Oh, what do you know? There's an opportunity for us to regulate it now. It's literally your job to do it, right? So this person's going to take it. And the other part that somebody brought up and made a great point is like, there are multiple regulatory agencies that want to take a stab at crypto not like negatively, but like they want to regulate it somehow. It's because, I mean, it comes out, you're working, right? Yeah. It's like anything, you're a person, you're, you're in a regulatory agency, you want power, you want to do something and go home, say that you you know, impacted society in some way. There, It's a bit of a land grab right now to say who gets to regulate crypto. So this move by the SEC is kind of in that direction, right? It's like, all right, we see an opening. Uh, we're looking at this law, even though it's 70 years old, we'll try to apply it. And then, all right, last question, boys, on this. Uh, thanks for the summary, Trunk. Brave or stupid? Let's talk about Brian Armstrong, because I think you could argue both sides, but curious to hear. Go on, Jack, why don't you go first? What, what, I think I know your answer, but uh, <laughs> let's uh, give you a chance to talk about it. I, I think it's like, I think it's a good calculated risk. Just yeah. uh, makes sense, like the... The PR outweighs that he they're coming for you anyway. So why the hell like at least get some impressions and put your side of the story out same way he did on the last story, right? If yeah. That's the that's like I think probably <laughs> yeah. learned from that last one, which was way more controversial than this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Great point. Trung, what about you, mate? Yeah, I, I'm all for it, man. Control the narrative. You know, you know uh, I'm a big fan of my reply guy, Elon. So or a big fan of, uh, well, not not to say everything, some sketchy stuff uh, or some weird things that go on in uh, that universe. But uh, I think controlling the narrative is, uh, you have to, right? It's just, <laughs> everybody's going to do it. It's, it's yeah. table stakes now. It's not It's I, not even like, do I think it's sketchy or not? It's like, it's table stakes. It's If you're not doing it, you're not even playing the game. Yeah, for real. Yeah, and I guess the other thing with Brian is he's not been shy to talk about other stuff uh, or like take a stand against something if whether it's right or wrong that's a moral debate for another time uh, but you know with the the company policies that he introduced like six or nine months ago during the lockdown that was another quite controversial thing um, but it seems like you know from people who invested in him that I respect I can't remember who it was but maybe it was like it was maybe one of the all-in guys in fact he just seems like quite a once in a generation sort of founder and the more you i've read about him he seems like the sort of person who he's going to do stuff like this it's going to keep going on so I, I think it's probably the right thing to do in this case 
Um, all right, boys, should we move on to the next one? Um, anything else before we, before we move on? I was going to pull in one quote I think we shared like 10 episodes ago. Wells Fargo has 20,000 employees. Coinbase has 2,000 employees. Unistop, Uniswap has 20 employees. <laughs> and like, I think in March or April of this year, Uniswap was challenging the New York Stock Exchange for volume over the course of a month, which is like, this is just a stark crazy example of the leverage that code affords you and uh it's going to happen whether you, it happens here or not is another question uh, you can't like you can try and ban the future it's just going to happen somewhere else you know you heard that one before i don't know who said that but that's essentially what you're doing and uh goes back to all of the stuff we talked about on the regulatory side and the lobbying side where it's like the net positive of this over the course of a few generations you know you have to think about that too Definitely. All right, nice one, man. Let's do a quick one on Theranos trying. I think yeah, I'll do it super quick. I, Let's do this because yeah. I think the the second half of this is going to be really interesting as well. So let's leave time for that. So yeah, what's been going on with Theranos? Because I know there's been a trial going on. Uh, maybe if there's like a thirty second overview of what happened in the past and then like what's been happening recently, that would be good right. for people to know. We'll do it super fast. Uh, so uh, Theranos, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. A Stanford dropout, a white female Stanford dropout, founded a blood testing company in 2003. You've almost certainly, somebody's come across it, right? The media's covered it widely. Um, basically, with her- turtleneck. She, She's got yeah, the, with the, turtle the Steve neck. Jobs turtleneck. She did the whole Steve Jobs thing, the uh, the fake baritone voice. Uh, I mean, listen, she raised $700 million and convinced the world, a lot of the world, I mean, a lot of people were also very suspicious of her. She raised $700 million, got her, her blood testing company, including a big partnership with Walgreens, uh, to a $10 billion valuation. Uh, it all turned out to be a house of lies. Uh, the blood testing uh, equipment that she founded uh, is called Edison initially. Uh, she called it Edison because uh, Edison famously failed 10,000 times or said he did before he founded the light bulb. Uh, but people are just like, man, you can't really do that with kind of healthcare. You can't just like put it in the wild and have a fail on 10,000 people. Yeah, it's not uh, like a Facebook app where you can be like, oh, there's a bug. This is exactly. life and death. And I'll just talk to you like really quickly what the product was. Like, I mean, the founding myth of Theranos was that Elizabeth Holmes was was traumatized by needles. I mean, I hate needles myself, but you know, whatever, I'll do them. And uh, she's like the entire process of uh, blood blood taking and testing is it's pretty brutal. I mean, brutal. Like, it's not comfortable, right? Nobody enjoys it. And she's like, okay, what if? And so, what happens if you have to get a needle? And it has to be professionally done, right? I can't even the 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 technical terminology of the professional does it. I can't even pronounce it. It's like spelled. It doesn't matter, right? You need to be a pro to do it. And um, uh, you have to get large blood samples and then those samples have to go to a, a centralized lab. So the entire process kind of takes a long time. And, and, you know, it takes a long time for a reason, right? That's just the way it, it, it's done now. And she's like, okay, what if you can just prick it on your finger and in the perfect world, you can just do it at home, right? And she built a machine. But the only problem is that there's a reason why it's the way it is, right? It's like, there's like literally the laws of biology is part of the reason. It's like when you do blood testing, 
you need sometimes larger samples because you have to separate out the plasma and the serum, which is what those centrifuge machines do. You have to take a bit of the blood sample and add it with reagents to cause a chemical reaction. So she was like, okay, let's just put it all in a tiny box, like a, a like a apple looking box and everybody can just do it at home. But literally the laws of physics say that you can't fit all that stuff into a box. She tried to do it, turned out she couldn't. Uh, she ended up using just like off the market equipment to do it and a lot of those uh, in the end in the back room this would like in the back us, room basically yeah. and uh at tldr is uh she ended up throwing out millions of blood tests and it really affected people's lives because somebody was told they're pregnant when they're not somebody was told that they're hiv positive when they're not like like you know what i mean like i know these are anecdotal and these are you can't judge everything yeah, for legal purposes i'm going to say allegedly just in case yeah but. allegedly and <laughs> yeah. so like she lied to investors uh health partners uh, patients but now she's on trial so that's a long lead up elizabeth holmes on trial trial opening statements were yesterday so this would be a week uh from when you heard it and the trial will probably last uh, three months and uh, the only other things i'll add to it is uh, we'll definitely follow up on it when um she uh whether or not she gets convicted, you know, presumption of innocence here. Uh, and the, the, the big thing that kind of talked about or the top what's relevant to our listeners is like, what does the Elizabeth home case say about the, the Silicon Valley culture and uh, you know, kind of fake it till you make it uh, build a hype machine. It doesn't really work in healthcare. You know, that's part of the, the thesis here or the argument. And also you know, a lot of Silicon Valley people are like, well, actually, if you look at the who funded the company outside of like the early seed investments, it wasn't traditional Silicon Valley investors. Yeah. Uh, the, the seed investors were actually, I mean, Larry Ellison invested, but I don't even think, I know he, nobody really thinks of Silicon Valley and thinks of Larry Ellison, even though he's one of the 10 richest people in the world. He's kind of Oracle's kind of old school. Uh, the was, board Tim Draper, of, was Tim Draper one Tim Draper was early, yeah. But early really early on. on. And I heard on the All In pod, actually, they talked about this and they said that, um, you know, when you're investing that early, you, you don't know much yet. You're pretty much investing in, um, in the person. an idea, the person. Yeah. And apparently, like, she was next door neighbors with his daughter or something like that. There was some weird connection. So anyway, I think their point, which I think was fair, was maybe this isn't actually a Silicon Valley company. It's just been using the ethos and the buzzwords. And right. I, I think it goes all the way back to episode zero of this pod where we talked about we work right and uh, adam newman and i i said something along the lines of there's a fine line between an adam newman and i mean I, I don't remember who i compared him to but like elon musk or something right because well that's a that's a big gap but the, an entrepreneur's job a lot of the time when they're doing it legitimately and not lying is to sell a vision right like you don't yeah there's something that doesn't exist in the world and i see it this way and i'm going to convince customers employees investors to come on board with me and that skill was clearly there for adam newman and clearly for her as well but then the fine line that gets crossed over is when you do something straight up in your line right and you're you're using community adjusted ibida right or whatever um or in this case allegedly a lot or worse, blood like, testing machines in the back room exactly front, exactly yeah yeah i know someone's gonna be annoyed about comparing to Elon Musk, but you you kind of get my point there right I'll actually add one more thing uh, from Matt Levine, who I talked about before, probably the best finance writer in the world. He was talking about uh, how, you remember how much money was going in uh, into like WeWork and Theranos, right? WeWork raised billions of dollars, Theranos raised $700 million. He actually said that the way he looked at it was this is like, 
if you think private markets are bubbly and overvalued, there's no way to short it, right? It's not like the public markets and equities where you can go on Robinhood and short or buy a put on a um, uh, on a security that you think is overvalued. But he's like, actually, the way you short a, a, a venture capital bubble or private market bubble is you do what the, uh, Elizabeth Holmes and uh, Adam Newman do. You're like, okay, you you have all this money, you want to give it away as an individual. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the other side of that trade. I will take that money. I mean, Adam Newman played it. He's a billionaire, right? He's a multi. He's a two, two, three times billionaire. Having said that, not saying this any of this is ethical. Obviously, Elizabeth Holmes is on the other side of that, right? And I think uh, to just draw back is like this iterative approach. Healthcare, maybe not the best place to try it. And uh, yeah, so uh, the last thing that I'll say about her case, because I'm sure we'll talk more about it, is uh, she's doing this Svengali defense. She's going to blame her former boyfriend and COO, uh, Sonny Balwani. Uh, if you want to hear like an ongoing commentary in the trial, listen to a John Kerry Rue's Bad Blood podcast. He's the one that wrote the book, Bad Blood. about Incredible um, book. Incredible. And he Highly broke recommended. the story with the Wall Street Journal. So 2015, he was the one that broke the story. Um, uh, it was crazy. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes was calling or texting Rupert Murdoch, who invested $100 million into her company. And Rupert Murdoch's uh, empire includes Dow Jones, which owns Wall Street Journals. And he and she's like, can you spike this story? He's like, go kick rocks. Like, no, that's not how that's it works. Mental. I'll, I'll eat the $100 billion investment because that'll be way more damage if people find out that I, I crushed that story, right? So um, yeah, she's on trial. We'll see how it goes out. But uh, uh, the last thing I'll add is when they're doing the jury selection, just hilarious. It's like part of jury selection is, you know, do you know about Elizabeth Holmes? And what do you think about her? And people, like they're interviewing some uh, jurors or potential jurors. Like, yeah, I remember she like wearing uh, those turtlenecks. And uh, yeah, I watched the HBO <laughs> documentary. It's like, dude, it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to find 12? How, people I can't I've never heard about. People. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, Jackie, right, do you have any overarching yeah, thoughts on, on fairness? No, I think you nailed it, man. I think, uh, yeah, when it comes to messing with people's health, you can't be, uh, you can't be winging it like that. It's pretty outrageous. We'll see what happens in the court case, but yeah, it seems we'll to me back. like there should be some uh, justice dished out. Next Absolutely. episode, we'll have to get Dr. Trunk, uh, Dr. Fan to hear his take as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The healthcare. Do no, do no <laughs> harm, right? Do no yeah, exactly. harm is the Hippocratic Oath. She broke that. Oh, my goodness, Crazy. man. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, yeah, good summary. We'll definitely um, have to touch on it again in the future. But yeah, it's a pretty uh, crazy trial going on. All right, boys, let's get into this crypto stuff because it's been a crazy few weeks. Uh, we're going to give the reins to Jack in a minute. But just to summarize some things that have happened in the last week or two, uh, you know, everything's been running up like crazy for a few months. And then in the last week, there was a bit of a pullback for, uh, well, it was like one or two days and things have been kind of pumping again. Um, Solana has been Wait, talking town. When did the, the pullback town. happen? Let's talk about that. What day did what, the pullback happen? What day was it? Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, what? What was it again? When it officially became legal tender in El Salvador. Oh, oh yeah, of course. And then the exactly. president of El Salvador says, "I'm buying the dip." Buying the dip. Like, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I could. That was only like a couple of days ago, and it's already know, crazy. out of my brain because so much has happened. But yeah, so he's been buying the dip, which is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, there's there's so many things going on. Um, Solana, I wanted to touch on really quickly because we've talked about it a little bit in the past. 
and again, not investment advice and disclosure. I own Solana and have for for a bit of time. Um, so I'm not trying to pump anything, but this has been on the cards for a while. Um, Solana has been the first time in a long time that I like spent like maybe 10, 15 hours like reading everything I could, listening to the founder. And I was like, oh, this one has a pretty good chance of becoming the third one like in my eyes right because the way i see when i buy crypto i have a bucket of stuff i hope to basically never sell or like I'll, i might sell stuff in the future but i'm holding for five ten years plus and then there's other stuff which is more experimental and you know for fun and this was the first one in a long time i was like okay they've got like a clear vision for how they're differentiating and there's a clear need for something like this and they've got the people to back it up like the guy who started it worked at Qualcomm and worked on this sort of stuff like where they're trying to increase the frequency increase the capacity of stuff essentially um so yeah that's been really interesting it also ties in with another thing um well it, one other thing I wanted to mention on Solana is while everything's been dropping like in the last few weeks or in the last week or so with that news, Solana was kind of holding strong throughout. And it was a bit of a weird thing to look at the top 10 by market cap. And they're up like 30% in a day and everyone is like 15% down. So it's, it's quite an interesting one to watch. Um, and th the second thing related to this is FTX, right? The exchange started by Sam Berkman fried or I, I can't remember if I'm saying his SBF. name correctly. SBF, legend in the crypto world. Um, let's talk about this quickly because we've got an advertising uh, legend on the call, uh, Jack Butcher, who <laughs> there was a, an amazing ad that Tom Brady tweeted out. Um, did you guys have a chance to see this yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. If, we probably don't need to share this. It was in a Telegram group. Yeah, just, just it was in a Telegram group. Yeah, go, into or go to Tom group. Brady or go to Tom Brady's Twitter profile. Twitter, right. yeah. <laughs> but he tweets and he's tags Steph Curry, uh, Mark Cuban, Kevin O'Leary, like about like 10 or 12 like all-stars. So I'm curious to get your take on like this whole thing FTX is doing, right? Because this is a completely different approach to, you know, Coinbase Gemini. FTX. What is FTX and uh, what are they advertising? Jack, can you hit that? Yeah, I mean, my understanding of it is their crypto exchange, maybe even broader support for more assets than Coinbase. Am I getting that right, Bilal? I think so. And they've got, um, they're building stuff like futures on there or they already have. They're building right. a lot they, more advanced stuff. There's like betting, there's betting related things too where you can just, a, a exactly. big part of their business is where you literally just bet uh, on the up, up and down move, which we're talking about regulation before. There's a lot of problems with that. But uh, we should spend an entire episode on SBF and FTX. But having said that, yeah. let's go to the ad that includes Tom Brady here. Yeah, I yes. mean, just Coinbase. I'm sure we could dig up some like marketing spend by Coinbase, but I think the, to me, the SBF F, FTX thing has been like social platform native and what FTX does incredibly well or has been doing incredibly well is it has like relationships, like deep crypto Twitter, like meme anonymous accounts that just like post an absolute like shit post memes all day long and ftx is like in the replies <laughs> of those things and then they've got like a tom brady giselle Bunchen, steph curry like top end sponsorships i think they've executed on, on this in the last like three months or something like i don't think there's anything particularly uh like it would take i think companies of 
you know, Fortune 500 size, such a long time to execute on a plan like that. And these guys are just like completely bossing it in such a short time frame. And they really get viral growth. I think it's just like socially native business. Again, even Coinbase is like older. The culture of Coinbase maybe is not as like socially literate as FTX. There's a great SBF tweet from January. Have you seen that one? Like, sell me as much Solana as you want at three dollars. Yeah, we put that in the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was uh, he's doing that. He was uh, uh, another crypto Twitter profile there. They're basically arguing about uh, the value of Solana, and it was like a twenty tweet thread or reply exchange. And then he's like. Sell me all your Solana at three dollars, and you know, f off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah he was, was trying to make a bet. He was like, "I'll Solana bet you a thousand dollars or something." So that's two hundred and twenty, two hundred. I mean, the guy's already the goat. But uh, all right, so I think, I think, look, hold on, let's let's do this. We need to follow up about FTX. Yeah, in the yeah, entire yeah. episode. We need to follow up Solana in the entire episode. Uh, but I think uh, the overarching thing here is go to Tom Brady's profile, and uh, if. Uh, the reason why I'm doing this is because I only got 15 minutes. I want to hear Jack talk about these toads. Let's do it. No, no, that, that was just a quick summary of that. But yeah, let's yeah. get straight into this edge of the internet stuff, mate. Because um, if you want to share your screen, you're welcome to. And while you're pulling this up, um, I'll just give context. Because in the Telegram group, you shared this, I think, last night or this morning. And mm-hmm. yeah, you've been buying some of these toads or cryptodes. I don't know how you pronounce <laughs> it. I mean, yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm just going to mute peed. myself. Let's do no, this. hold on. I just, uh, uh, Jack's going to speak for the next 15 minutes nonstop. Uh, all I'm saying is this. I'm having PTSD right now because we did this 20 episodes ago with Board Ape Yacht Clubs. And <laughs> Jack was – and this is not investment advice. Just remember, oh, yeah. that yeah. was three months ago. Board Ape may or may not be unicorn, but oh, my goodness. I'm just having flashbacks to when I <laughs> – I didn't have life changing. I didn't even see this last night. I because I just saw your your uh, Telegram thing. I'm so, going on yeah. mute, bro. Let's go. Yeah, I'm muting the two. Jack, take it so, away, mate. So, uh, what was I doing? I was doing some work last night, and I got just like click through the discords before I'm going to bed. So it's like visualize value. There's a Discord. I go catch up on all of that stuff. There's a CryptoPunk Discord. And I just see these little pictures of these like pixelated toads, and. Uh, the CryptoPunks Discord is like funny culture. There's like mostly just revolves around the sales of CryptoPunks, right? So there's a bot that feeds in every time there's a bid, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the people in that Discord, like OG crypto are NFT investors, right? They bought CryptoPunks at 10 bucks and they're, you know, they've got 20 of them in the wallet that are worth eight, nine figures now. So I see this little toad thing come in. I'm like, I, I kind of recognize the style of some of it. And uh, it's by this designer called Gremplin, who's like, uh, you know, OG crypto artist and is working on this project called Nouns DAO, which is another thing. I'll pull it up here, but it's the URL is nouns.wtf if you want to check it out. And this is the first ever inflationary NFT project. So they auction a noun, which is like this SVG character every day. And they've been at it for, I think we're on 30 something now. But you can see the prices of these. 168 Ether, 140, 175. And so you're getting into this community. Um, You know, these avatar projects are traditionally 10,000, right? So people are like, oh, what? The initial response to this is like, well, you know, it's inflationary. So... uh, 
what, how is it going to retain its value? The amazing thing is it would take 27 years for this to reach a supply of, of 10,000, right? So the, the uh, demand is actually massive and uh, launched by a couple people in the space that I've written about on Twitter in the last few days that are just like, I think, incredibly prescient and have been invested for a long time. Anyway, the designer of this Toad project, I, I saw these little details in those um, graphics. So I was like, oh, that reminds me of the Nounsdao project. Turns out this guy's a designer on this project. So already some huge like crypto cultural velocity and approval behind this guy's work. And uh, so I go to this page, cryptodes.io. They're, they're selling... 6,969 of them. Again, another crypto numerical reference there, 6,969. And the price is 0.069 Ether to mint. So they sold out in 12 minutes. So they'd already sold out by the time I um, had found out about them in the Punks Discord. So they're all on the secondary market at that point, right? They're all on OpenSea. Um, and people are posting them in the Discord, like, oh, I got this one, I got that one. Copycats. So like there's a few things that are stacking up in my mind one the artist obviously there's like velocity behind that and everybody that's been involved in the space for two three years like their art is still like performing crazily well uh and the community obviously that rallies around og artists is stronger because they've been in the space longer and the other other weird detail here is like think about the brand so Cryptodes is like such a such a great play on words, and you know it all these rolls projects. Off are, the tongue. It just yeah. rolls right off. And it's got the like, it's got the um, it references the specificity of it, right? It talks about like crypto punks is another one, versus even Board Ape Yacht Club. They sort of pioneered that format where you have the the adjective, the animal, and then the place, right? And you've seen all this like. I don't know what they're even called. Yeah, like, you know, Lazy Llama Academy, shit like that, right? Which is all <laughs> it's doing is just driving up awareness back up the stack to the board eight thing, right? Versus this is like, I saw the name. I was like, why didn't I think of that? It's genius, right? You just oh, yeah. add three letters on. Cryptodes. And then I'll go on OpenSea and I'm like, let me see the volume on this thing. Actually, this is, uh, let's just look at the contract. And sorry, for now. anyone who's only listening on audio, Jack, just opening up of uh, EtherScan. So just yeah, so this uh, is maybe a, share what you're looking at. Yeah, so it's a blockchain explorer, which basically shows you all the transactions against a given contract. So any purchase, transfer, sale will show up as a line item here. And this is now. So you can see here, like within the last 10 minutes, there's been 25 transactions. Last night, there were, you know, 15 transactions a minute happening so it's like this thing is 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 blowing up and the right kind of characters are um getting involved in it so if you look at you could look at holders here and it will rank the percentage of the supply held by different wallets and you can cross-reference this with some of the twitter accounts people use the same ethereum where id you, as they do twitter are you, are you uh, where are you in the list uh i got seven of them so i'm probably i don't know page two or three i would think um yeah yeah probably four or five actually but look at this top holder here has 110 
And then for the community to grow, you really want to see this number grow. So the, the number of unique holders. So obviously out of the gate, there are believers that buy into these projects and then they list them on secondary and they get bought up, right? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, this product, June Analytics, but it lets people build uh, visual representations of uh, uh, an Ethereum contract. So you can go in and say, I want to look at the number of unique wallets holding this thing over the last five hours, 10 hours, days, whatever, the floor price of this asset on the secondary market. So I, I, drop, I can drop this link in the Telegram to so go grab that, but you can see like the momentum behind this thing happening. And again, all, none of this stuff is investment advice. It's just, there's, so, there's a, also a level of like gut, having seen a lot of projects come out of the gate, see the momentum, get behind them and the people that support the project. And you know, I, I bought into this around here, like at the beginning of, of last of night. yesterday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In 24 hours? What <laughs> yeah. is that up? What is point So two? it's a 5X almost. I think Jesus. this is a bit slow. So you could get out now at a, a reasonable uh, multiple, but it wasn't a huge amount invested by any means. You can also, I think OpenSea is lagging behind a little bit here. But if we just look at the, yeah, I don't think it's logging it. But if you just look at the secondary volume of the project, it's... Uh, so, uh, Jack, to clarify, because I don't use OpenSea that much. So what, what view is this? Is this just a search? So you can look at the activity of, a, of any given project. So let's go, to, let's go to the listing page. Yeah, so you go to the listing page, and this will, by default, show you the cheap, organized by the cheapest, right? So if and you sorry, go to just buy clarify, now. Just real quick, at the top, because, again, just for people who've never been on here, it's got the floor price, which is like that you're seeing that going up over time, volume yeah, traded. Yeah, that's the like, cheapest one available, yeah. That's the cheapest one. Okay, okay. And then um, volume trade, like how does this compare? Like what's a comparable here? Like would you just open up a bunch of tabs and see what it's like versus others? Or is there a way to see historically like what Board Ape Yacht Club was in the first few weeks versus now? Because it's not really a fair comparison. You could find out. You could definitely find that out. OpenSea has a few views where they'll show you um, where they'll show you project volume in the last 24 hours. So I'm sure this is, yeah, look, it's at number 11 here, um, which is, you know, compared to these other projects that are trading at a way higher price point per asset, this is, I think, um, another positive sign for how fast it's growing. And then a lot of it is just feeling it out on Twitter. And I think there's a couple little weird details um, that are more like, you get a feel for just by the the amount of time you spend looking at this stuff um but i'm pretty uh i'm pretty certain there's going to be a bit of momentum behind it for at least a little while and um the uh the connection to this is really the the most powerful point i think like this is just such a massive um the entry point for this is so out of reach and uh it's you know there's a, so you're saying for nouns you're talking about yeah, sorry, I, I, not everyone's yeah, yeah, listening. Yeah. So Nouns, Dow, this one that auctions a unique one every day. These are selling for such a massive premium. And the team that built this obviously came up with something incredibly unique. Like even the way this is built, auctioned, like look at the 
like look at the care that went into building this product it's pretty amazing and the same goes for this thing it's like there is this ability to tell stories digitally and use like the screen as a canvas is uh obviously indicative of how something's going to play out over the long term too so i don't even think these guys have talked about what the like roadmap for this project is uh another interesting detail is they put the content in the public domain so no copyright like anyone can take it use it and i think there's again another string to the bow of an of a project gaining traction is like what is it doing differently what is it experimenting with on the mechanic side and public domain i think understanding that the proliferation of an image doesn't decrease its value it increases it and if you have a one person owning that image they benefit from the fact that anybody can go ahead and modify it right this is like this is decentralized disney this is the kind of what you're saying about boarding exactly yeah this is like taking the true the true uh value proposition of a meme right it's this thing that uh just proliferates without permission but you can also attach ownership to that at a uh, at some level too um i'm still i'm still like reading their discord and figuring out what their plans are for this project but based on you know their involvement in other projects that have like broken new ground in the nft world i'm i'm pretty uh i'm pretty interested in how this is going to play out and i also think that they i just they just cracked me up man when i just looked at them for the first time i was in tears last night looking at these 69 69 is perfect man <laughs> it's hilarious yeah, yeah wait man, hold on I a mean, second so i just wanted to uh, i just want to say you can roll away at the top uh, just right before a boogie and you guys continue i want to just summarize what jack kind of touched on uh kind of the variables that he looked at he was looking at uh Who's doing the project was very important. Uh, what was their kind of uh, association in the crypto space reputation? So that makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, what is their person's reputation here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you even, you might've said that was the most important. Uh, the second, one of the most important. Um, the other yeah, yeah. things you looked at was how many owners there are. You want to see that number increase because obviously at the start, there would be some people like uh, the chart you showed, they had a, one guy had a hundred of these crypto toads. You want to see a little bit more distribution in the number of owners or see that number going up because that suggests that kind of the, the meme or the, 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 the network effect is growing, is right? Growing. Okay. The floor price, obviously the minimum price for one of them. You want to see that go up. That makes sense. And then the volume traded. So to summarize is uh, the reputation of the creators, uh, how many owners there are, uh, the floor price and the volume traded. And those last three is like anything up and to the right is good, right? Yeah. And I think the first one I would put before all of those is like the aesthetic, like the unquantifiable qualitative reaction you have to it, which is the same as Bored Apes. When I first looked at that, I was like, um, there's something about these that is just cool and different. And that's like the unquantifiable thing that you're like, man, if I, th- if I think this about these things, has to be a couple thousand other people that feel the same way. The exact word, ineffable. There's no, you can't describe it, right? Yeah. uh, And um, just also that being backed up by um, some people that uh, I've been following have been like remote mentors in the NFT space, like people that wouldn't comment on other projects, either say like, I bought into this or this is badass, or again, the reputation of the team is uh 
repeated over and over again in so many from so many different angles and uh that's like yeah i think it's it's almost like you know, i don't want to draw a comparison to the theranos thing but it's like the the same idea <laughs> right right you back the founders of this thing that are working in a protocol that is emerging and they've built a product that resonates with thousands of people and you, you can like get involved in that for you know a yeah, a significant financial commitment in some, like, obviously depends on your circumstances, but these aren't board eight prices, right? You don't have to drop six figures on these things, but it is just remarkable how in 12 hours, how fast this, this can, this can move. Um, it's interesting. You see how like it will affect the rest of the space too. I'm sure we'll see like open sea volume charts and stuff and, and how much, how much this like can re-energize the whole space like one project that starts to make the rounds on twitter will like bring momentum to more momentum to the marketplace which gets people looking at other projects etc cetera, etc cetera. so you guys just, keep talking you guys keep doing no, this, I'm gonna this is great all right trang thanks for joining man that was that all was right. fun yeah well i'll just thanks, ask Jack. a few more questions as an amateur and i think trang would also ask yo trang you can log off on the on the yeah cool um yeah yeah so yeah um Drung had to had to go, but we'll just finish off a couple more questions on this. So let's just say, look, I'm a complete amateur with the NFT stuff, right? Like I, all I really know is what you've been saying. And I've got a couple of random ones that we bought, like Janky High. So I actually really yeah. liked um I thought that aesthetic was actually quite cool as well. But what I liked about that, it was the on-ramp was easy for someone who doesn't want to like figure out a MetaMask wallet. And right. and I and I have all those things and I know an, a, a decent amount, but to put it frankly, I don't want to sell like old Ethereum I've held forever because yeah, yeah. it's I, it's like this tax headache and all this yeah, stuff. Sure. So basically anything I do like this, I either want to just pay with a credit card, which I could do on Janky Heights, or I essentially go and buy a new Ethereum or whatever and just transfer it over so that there's no, that makes like, sense, it's not yeah. going to be a big thing, which I haven't actually done yet. So so I'm curious from your point of view, and this might be a you know, stupid question for people who are used to doing this, but how does OpenSea actually work in terms of bidding? Is it like eBay, the way that there's like a high bid and they have to accept it? Or is yeah, it me... just like a time frame? Because I don't actually, I've never done it before. Yeah, so there's like, uh, there are different different formats that you can set up as the owner of the asset. So you, in the same way that eBay works, you could set a buy it now buy price. Buy it now, yeah. And you auction. can say, I want to, like, you could literally customize the auction down to the minute. So you could say, I want to run a 30 minute auction and the, st the reserve price is this. Um, and the auctions on OpenSea work a di little different than like a foundation where you have these incremental bids. You know, on foundation, you have to place a bid that's 10% higher than the last bid. On OpenSea, it's kind of like they'll just accept bids of any, uh, any size and it just shows up in a list. So if you're looking at these here, like this one has been set up as an auction, this first guy. Um, and how could uh, you the, see it was auction? Was there like a... Yeah, if you look on the thumbnail, if you look uh, on the thumbnail, it'll say that little five days left down there. Five days, that means it's an auction. Okay. So yeah, all of those then, top three are all auctions. Correct. Yeah. So when I'm looking at these... Is that the most like, popular? Is that the most popular thing? They're the cheapest. Use? The cheapest by definition will show up at the top. And Got then... It. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You're asking if that's the most popular format. No, I would oh, say yeah, yeah, buy yeah. it now is the most popular. So oh, okay. The auctions are just not like... They don't capture the attention in the same way as like 
platforms that are built for auctions in my mind um OpenSea is like way more of a like almost like a database where it's like this is this is the price of this thing come in and bid on it i haven't really seen any like and they're probably just they, they probably exist but i haven't seen like big ticket auctions that get a lot of traction through oh, an open sea it's more like the party bids the foundation zoras that are designed for auctions this is more like here's all the inventory the seller wants this for it you can accept it or and not and so as the person who owns nft you will go in and set the price right so Correct. you've got a bunch of nfts do you just have yours listed all the time at a at a certain price or the ones that you're open to selling like an I aspirational I, price i guess yeah people do i don't do it that often just because um well it's the ones i hang on to like if i want to get rid of it i'll just buy it and then like instantly list it so chances are like if i held it for a little while i'm just trying to feel out the market see where it's going got it got um it. but a lot of people will do that buy one and then just instantly like 10x 5x whatever else the price but in an instance like this that the man we could do a whole other episode on this like you watch like uh the crypto punks floor for example and those markets are you know if 20 of the cheapest crypto punks sell in an hour for example then everything above that is technically mispriced right because you're you're um or if it hasn't been if 20 sell and the one that remains is at the price that it was at before those 20 sold they have there's a mispricing there and there's just a like that that's where you get these like crazy arbitrage on the market. Or, yeah. exactly and because these come off a public mint into an open market so quickly there's still price discovery arbitrage like it's obviously it's all a game but you're trying to sort of seek out the either like the aesthetic value, i guess yeah yeah like the are these going to be valued because they're aesthetically interesting or is there a attribute that is like going to be more sought, sought after than another and like man people there are like incredibly talented like finance professionals and i've read discords that talk about this you would think that you're sitting like at a conference table in like the top floor jp morgan the way some people talk about this stuff it's like i can imagine i've ran a, a full analysis on the distribution of rarity traits among you know this collection between this price point and that price point and for this reason this asset is underpriced same way like i mean these are these are financial instruments right like they're tokens that have a financial value assigned to them and it's based a market on certain like any variables other. yeah it's a, it's a fascinating it's amazing, game man. um just just nuts man it's like the that's what i think is so interested about nfts is like it takes that which is already a you know something that people invest a lot of energy thought time money into and then it adds this like another layer of nostalgia identity like community belonging which isn't the same way you would get in and out of a stock, a stock. or a coin or you know something on ftx Blake. where it's like shit this is you know this is dip five percent i've got a stop loss i'm selling it and not to say there aren't people in the nft space that are like cold-blooded traders which you know they're probably making an absolute fortune if they're doing it well there's there are bots that run on these sites too so that's what i was like, about to ask because yeah as you're showing these like i was contrasting i was thinking of 
you know, like high frequency trading or whatever, like a hedge fund that is taking all these variables and saying, based on like the fundamental analysis, based on technical analysis, you know, whatever the different mm-hmm. viewpoints are, like X model, th- this is, there's like some uh, underlying value here that market isn't seeing. That's just how like investing at professional level works in some way. And on here, because it's an emerging industry, there's also the human part, like you said, right? Like where people aren't update, the prices aren't dynamically changing a lot mm-hmm, of the time. Like mm-hmm. people are changing the correct, prices correct. themselves. So with that time lag and having a idea of what is valuable. And then if you added a layer of like, I hate to use this word, but automation or some sort of, you know, um, programming ability yeah, yeah. essentially some logic right yeah. logic exactly but that a machine can do it and augment what you're doing then I'm, I'm sure there are people doing that and i just it'll be it'll be really cool to like speak to one of the people how they do it so but yeah so what's on the screen there's a couple of uh there's a couple of like notorious bots in in the space so you'll get mm. like emails it's like you have an offer of if you have anything in the collection you'll get 10 emails that this this bot has bid x which is normally like i don't know fifth maybe 60 70 percent of the floor value right so that's exit liquidity for some people if they get in a bind or they're like you see um you know you you see the collection the 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 price of the floor piece in a collection drops slightly and you're just like, I just want to get out. You accept that bot offer and then they they either have the liquidity to hold it and wait for the market to come back up and they'll sell it or they'll flip it instantly. In. Like, yeah. There's a guy, um, Pranksy, his name. Yeah, he's like alias. pretty big on Twitter, right? Yeah. Big, uh, big character in the NFT space and I think he bought up 15% of the board Ape supply on day two and he would just auction that back out into well not even auctioned he just sold that back out into the population so he did a huge amount for the collection because he helped get adoption out there he's a big name and but i saw something he wrote this morning is like see then see in the the sotheby's auction uh, 25 mil for 100 apes that he probably sold for i don't know a million or two like it's a very point one percent problems you know what i'm saying but it's uh, yeah, yeah, but just still. interesting to see <laughs> so some people so he for example there was this flip that he pulled off the other day i think he saw a zombie crypto punk listed for a thousand ethereum bought it after 20 seconds and then relisted it at 1600 i think someone bid 1500 and he accepted it so and the like, crazy thing is everyone can see he did that right because this yeah. is not like my first ever ebay sale right was me right, buying right. a a watch that was in the US i think and uh i bought it and then sold it in the UK and changed the pictures and stuff like that but that person who bought it in the UK didn't have a way to go and click a button and see how much i bought it for right, right? so but here like it's on a public blockchain so a lot of the time unless they're doing some funky stuff with using all sorts of wallets right, right. which i'm sure people do as well but like you'll see, like the, I follow some of these bots on Twitter that you've shared uh, in our Telegram or to me anyway, and it will just automatically show like someone bought this and held it for six days and then flipped it. And sometimes it's even a loss, right? Um, right. But like that is just, there's people that bought something and then one day later sold it for more. 
and and yeah. um, and they're on and you click click on to open scene you can literally just see the history that it bought it yesterday for the, that price so it's quite an interesting like it's a weird thing there that people everyone can see that openly but then are still people are still buying it at that inflated price yeah and i think that's where the like emotion side of it comes in right it's like any other asset in the world like could it inflate in price 50 percent in 30 minutes it's like there aren't many things where that happens yeah but if you like it again is like the arbitrage of knowing the space and the like obviously silly amount of conviction and like brass minerals to be doing that kind of uh (laughs) behavior it's also the liquidity of the market right like even dot com you talk about like there's crazy financial behavior happening at that point in time the 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 market like getting in and out of that market was so much less liquid right it's like i don't even know if there were like electronic exchanges it certainly wasn't robin hood right where you could just buy into an asset and get out of it this is like your metamask and stuff is a little um tricky interface wise but once you got it set up it's really like Pretty not crazy at all. You're pressing buttons, buy, sell. Like it's just <laughs> madness. Like more so than even than an eBay, right? Where mm-hmm. you have all of this crap that has to happen between the transaction closing out and the buyer and seller settling. Terms. Oh, that's true. Yeah, this one just automatically transfers to a new contract. It's done. And like, so that, that's what I was going to ask you. So in most cases, the ones you just bought, you you just did buy it now i take it right yeah, yeah just, market buy on all of and, them yeah and you just look and you just look at how do you do it do you like sort by price filter by buy it now like and this is getting a little tactical but i'm just asking a question yeah, like, yeah, i no, might try I'll, this I'll after the, and someone else is probably doing i'll pull the i'll pull up this so my uh and this is like more of a like i'm learning as i go and my like risk tolerance this my like this is informed by my risk tolerance, right? So yeah, completely. I go and sort by buy it now, cheapest, low to high, right? So if I believe in this as a collection, then even if I get in at the cheapest thing, then you know I'm I'm hoping that I can carry some like uh, momentum with the the bottom end of that collection. But where the real like arbitrage opportunities are, are picking out things that are higher up in the stack right these mispriced assets where Got it. yeah you know like you could have bought a golden board ape for two ethereum on the uh second day after mint but a you know a standard one would have been 0.2 or 0.3 the difference between those two things now maybe it's this like as a percentage it's the same but obviously the outcome is just outrageous like the i think the sandbox game bought a golden board ape for 740 ethereum last week two and a half million bucks i think and if you're like and this is such an early space but i think people who have like been in and out of like 10 12 15 nft projects you maybe start to get a feel for okay i believe in this enough that i'm gonna bet on the high end rather than you know collect like sort of dollar cost average if you want to make a ridiculous comparison by buying (laughs) the cheap uh the cheap guys at the bottom of the collection i've also not got the killer instinct like cold-blooded trader thing in me to the point where i have to buy ones that i like to look at too 
Like I can't no. just get in and be like, just buy, buy anything and flip yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah. can't do it. And that's like, well, really also not. it's your brand. Like your brand is create. You're a creative person too. I'm sorry. First of all, it's you as a person, yeah, like you're yeah. a creative person. Your thing is called visualized value. So like, but then also, honestly, it's also your brand. Like you have your stuff on a public if wallet too, I think. Right. Yeah. So people can see your collection essentially, I think. And like, if you just had a bunch of shit on there, it would be like, <laughs> what's Jack doing? Like, it's not yeah. the right vibe. So you, you kind of staying true to it. And you, you're doing this for fun as much as making money, right? So, yeah, um, I mean, I'm yeah, not so, like, I'm making money on paper, but uh, I've, I'm so emotionally attached to this stuff. Like, this is not my income. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to put it. So yeah, yeah. back to your screen real quick. So you would sort by buy it now. And, and just to clarify, so in your MetaMask, you'd need to already have enough for whatever it's listed Correct. for Correct. plus pr- some fees i guess right plus gas yeah yeah gas which, fee, gas which was, right now is a lot right this now. is insane 100 bucks 200 bucks in some cases that's crazy um, yeah i did it a few days ago for the e-wallet uh the ens sorry uh, and it was a few hundred dollars and it kept and i was like oh this is stupid but i'm already doing it now the time it, the switching cost of me doing this five days from now is not worth it so i just secured it but anyway so yeah so back to this so you would um buy it I'd now look at these i go to the but yeah i go to the like cheapest ones available buy it now and i just keep scrolling down it's like oh this one's cool that one's cool i'm gonna get a couple of those especially if this thing is moving at speed right i just want to get in and then i maybe i'll look at like now i'll try and understand the collection a bit more um and it's also like there's some I like crazy that chocolate bar one. Sorry, that yeah. one looks good. <laughs> yeah, he's classy. That's that's hilarious. Yeah. I, might, I mean, I might have to play around with this after. Um, just quick question, so I can understand. If you just go back up, uh, so oh, sorry, there was an offer for like in the middle. So that means uh, yeah. that there's a price that they've the owner has set a price zero point nine four, and there's yeah. someone's made an offer of zero point six nine. I guess that'll be a bot for sure. Yeah, that'll be a bot, and they are basically, and then it's up to that person to accept it or not. Yeah, they're just um, arbitraging that at the bot. Someone would be like, oh, I'll take that offer. Or maybe yeah, they yeah. don't. These, so I think this is in practice not very accurate. But the, you know, unless you're watching these markets all day long, I guess the assumption is like if you just get the email that says, hey, you've been offered 0.7 Ethereum on this thing that you minted for 0.069 yesterday, they're just playing with... Uh, the probability that somebody's not watching this market all day long and it's like oh, i'm 10x in profit i'm gonna take that um, yeah 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 so, so they're like oh think, okay cool yeah 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 got it got it but with time like because people have a decent amount of money invested in this i don't think that strategy has you know it's waning the efficacy of it when something like this grows fast everybody who's got one knows the floor price within you know 50 bucks either way because they're like just watching it they're in the discord they're getting these updates blah 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 yeah. blah. so the bot thing clearly works because people are doing it but i feel like again it's this waning arbitrage opportunity with time um i don't even know if that's true honestly because there's there's just so much information how do you keep up with this stuff completely uh, yeah the biggest factor here is the time man like the people i know who are actually doing pretty well in this space or like you know enjoying it enough to dedicate the time are people who like tom osmo was on the show he's looking at us all day like he's in yeah. 
his Discord, he's chatting to people about it. I'm in there. There's hundreds of messages from last night alone. It's amazing. Um, and then, sorry, the other thing to call out, this one. So it's got the price 0.93 on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. And then it says last 0.5. So that's the last purchase price, I guess, right? Correct. Probably what that Correct. person bought it for. Correct. So this person's going for just under a, a, a 100% return on this thing. Yeah, yeah, got it. Love it, Matt. Is there anything else to call out or that you'd be looking at on this page? Or like, I would do you say click like, into it and, and uh, anything you analyze on the, the page itself for that individual NFT? So, so yeah, if you go into one of these, I'll, I'll do two bits here. But on the left-hand side here, you see like these are all the attributes that are on chain, right? So that each token has this list of attributes that breaks down what's in the image. So, um, you know, the traits are obviously individually produced and then assigned at random based on the rarity distribution defined in the code. So bandit eyes, there's only 45 of these, right? In a, in a collection of almost 7,000, which creates a price premium, which you see here. So this is. Oh, got it. So that's, so you just know, because on the left-hand side, the filter, you can just scroll to the bottom and see what's the least, uh, you know, the trait that is most rare. Correct. And is that always Correct. does that always correlate with actually the you know the overall collection because this is only what's on OpenSea, right? So if some people are holding them and they they're not so actually they're, on so OpenSea. So they'll show up on OpenSea even if they're not for sale. Oh, so OpenSea right. OpenSea can got read it. the whole contract and it will show oh, everything. Okay. But it got will it, it will just like push the ones that aren't available to buy to the bottom of the listing. So like for it looks like Oh, because I buy it now selected, so everything will be a listing. But if I take that off, you come down here, these are being held, right? Someone's offered 0.69 on this, but it's not for sale. So that person could still go into their email and accept that offer, even though they don't have the listing active. They'll just get an email. Yeah. If they have the preference set up, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Right. That's amazing, man. No, this is. I know for people still listening, still with us, because I know this is really in the weeds. But this is like super helpful for me to understand, and even just to see, even if I don't do it, but just to see like what people are doing. Like this is like we said, the Pokemon cards and the stickers in the playground on steroids, and and it's like um, the one thing I did want to bring up is I don't know if you heard. Did you listen to the My First Million episode with Sean and? Uh, Sam, the recent one where they were talking about NFTs a bit. No, well, I got the summary is I know a lot of people who listen to our show also listen to that show, and we know both those guys and we're kind of friends. So, um, there's not to call anyone out, but what Sean was basically saying, and he's very pro crypto, he said there's something along the lines of like, you know, if you were the early developer in Ethereum and you, um, bet on it because you believed in the project long term and now you're worth tens of million dollars like good for you if you bought a random image and sold it for a million dollars then like f you is basically what he said he was obviously joking around a little bit and he's messing around it was the hater episode they called it which was pretty funny and it was just funny because obviously tom was just on our show last two episodes ago and we talked exactly about that but i'm just curious just to wrap it up like the philosophical question because it got me thinking a little bit, right? And um, not not the FU part, but more around why there's value here. And I know we've talked about this before, but he basically was saying this is the greater greater fool theory, 
um, he thinks, and he, he said, to be fair, like he's a pretty objective person. He said, I need to learn more. And he's been over the last week, he's been writing about it on Twitter. Like he's been learning about all this stuff, dedicating time. Um, so yeah, I definitely think he's a sort of person where that when the facts change or he, he learns something mm -hmm. new, he'll change his opinion. And he was obviously joking to a certain extent. So I'm not holding him to that, that one quote. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing that stood out to me was one of the four criteria you looked at were who are the people involved, which I think makes a lot of sense. Like I would do the same. Yeah. Um, but it seems like if those OGs of the crypto game aren't involved, the percentage chance of this working is just so much less, right? And and I, I don't know if, it. yeah. So, um, and the, the way I was thinking quite a lot about this because I was essentially thinking, well, what isn't like basically in the same vein? Like this might be next level of, okay, you're getting early, there's crazy upside and people are essentially pumping stuff and whatever, right? But ultimately me and you both really believe in supply and demand and right now and the market, open market. And right now, there's an open market whether, and people are giving these things value, whether that is because they think the price is going up because they like having fun collecting these things. They like the artwork, whatever, right? Um, I think obviously a big part of it is people seeing it as a way to earn money and like grow mm -hmm. and flip stuff, which I'm not against. Like people, that's just, as long as people go into it and don't do stuff um, where they're borrowing money to do it or they're like, you know, stealing or whatever, right? It's, that that's up to them they're, they're yeah. adults they're allowed to do what they want um but it got me kind of thinking like how does that correlate with companies right like i was thinking about venture capital like just there's i've worked with a lot of startups where i've seen the numbers and i'm like okay they keep all these big vcs keep investing when i'm like okay do these numbers even make sense anymore to be mm -hmm, investing at mm -hmm. that level but you're already in right and and you're like well for my investment to keep working, I need to keep signaling to the market that this company is working. And right. there's been many examples of that where sometimes a company ends up being a great company, but it took those four or five years of like in reinvesting, reinvesting. So obviously comparing a business that serves customers and creates something new, it's very different to a JPEG of a toad, right? But yeah. <laughs> still <laughs> to bring it all back, you know, they're, ultimately there's still, there's a similar comparison to be made there right which is it's supply and demand the value of something is how much someone is willing to pay for it and there's always there is an incentive there for the early people to keep pushing it but i'm curious from your point of view like how you think about that because it was kind of a philosophical question for myself yeah i when as you were talking i thought i think we've we brought this up once before on the pod the idea of lvmh being the most like one of the biggest businesses in the world. Uh, what's that guy's name? Arno. He's yeah, like uh, one of yeah, the richest yeah. dudes in the world Franco. because of building that. Oh, yeah. And you also see this, like how is this different from uh, Grailed or StockX or um, these marketplaces that have emerged around like collecting culture. Physical products. Yeah, yeah culture. And, like... Air Force Ones. Like I was in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago. We went to Flight Club in Union Square, and there's like uh, off-white things in a shoes in a glass case in there for eighteen grand. So they made five hundred of them, crazy, and they're like yeah. culturally um, significant objects 
right? I would, I mean, there's something pretty fascinating about how big is the buyer pool for a limited edition pair of Air Force Ones versus a towed JPEG. I would say the <laughs> the buyer pool for the Air Force Ones is significantly bigger, but the yeah, net definitely. worth of the average bidder in the JPEG world is significantly higher right yeah. now. And this is all like, it's ludicrous speculation. Like if you don't have money to burn do not buy this stuff that's definitely like completely that is the one piece of investment advice we'll give on the show happily <laughs> give yeah yeah but it's also um having an eye for what will endure past this like paradigm paradigm shift in digital ownership right what are the like what are the milestones that make something collectible over time and like there's actually an account that I think is doing a great job writing about this uh, pseudonymously. And um, I'll, uh, I'll put it, I'll send it over in the show notes afterwards. And the idea of digital ownership isn't going anywhere. So what are going to be like the flagship, like status symbols that marked this era in time and I think the way, because I think about this too, it's like people compare it to Beanie Babies or, you know, things that do have, do age, right? It's like Completely. at a certain point, it's like who the hell wants Beanie Babies even. anymore? Like, I mean, Pokemon's yeah, still Pokemon. around. But I, and, I, and I think about a comparison, the, sorry, Jack, is uh, like a Rolex watch or a fancy car in some ways, right? Because those are things that signify value, luxury, whatever you want to call it. Um, achievement, you know, a certain position mm -hmm, in society mm -hmm. for some people, right? And and uh, there's a mix, obviously, right? Like the, I'm not saying a, a frog JPEG is a Rolex, but right. there's the, the, if you strip down why people are buying stuff, I think there's I don't know actually that that's a little bit harder. That's a that's a bigger question. I think I think primarily the reason a lot of people are buying stuff is because they think they'll make more money. I, I don't think that's that oh, yeah. crazy to say, 100%. of course, right? Yeah. Um, but Upside, the same way, in some way, yeah. right? The same way you buy a Upside, Rolex, exactly. or like you could talk about. I think it was uh, Scott Galloway. It's like I have a black Amex because when I go out on a date, I put a black <laughs> Amex on the table, and it's like oh, like I want to procreate with the person that's got the black Amex, right? Procreate. That's not cut. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's what it's about. And this is like, a status symbol, yeah. It's a status, like you are buying into something with either the expectation of a financial return or a status return or a like dopamine, a fun return. Yeah, there's some, there's some return. We didn't even bring up the Fortnite thing where mm, what Fortnite's yeah. the biggest fashion brand. If you use some like creative criteria, it's the biggest digital fashion brand. Oh, it's the biggest fashion brand in the world. Yeah, Sorry. I've shared you it. In, was, did I share that, right? And yeah, you put it in there. And like they sell more clothes in inverted commas than like Chanel on a yearly yeah. basis. And it's those crazy. aren't assets that people own. Like people are literally just throwing money at whoever the developer of Fortnite is. Uh, maybe it just is Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. And the expectation is only that I'm going to be able to put this on my avatar and walk around. And maybe it's a different argument because they're 30 bucks, not $30,000. But yeah, definitely. The, you have to think about it in terms of percentage, like the people who are spending that on these things were in the Ethereum pre-mine. So it maybe it is $30 to them. And if these collections mm, yeah. are only 6,000 objects, 
how many people do you really need for this thing to be culturally Big. significant? But again, it's all conjecture. Like the bottom could fall out of this tomorrow. And like, it's like, it's the most illiquid thing out. You can't, those bot offers disappear. You're done. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no a different buyers. Game. It's all dried up. It's a different up. game. And, for, and to try and make it, to try and make it this like, logical market thing is yeah, it's, it's not, a fool's errand man it's just not yeah. that <laughs> like you can't you can't you can't like you know go into a despite the fact that I, i'm contradicting myself because i've seen people talk about it in like very specific economic economic terms you cannot separate it from this layer of like irrational emotion that makes people care in the first place yeah it's not just a stock chart in one way but it's also not a pack of five pound or five dollar pokemon cards either right like it's it's in between like there's there's a lot of complexity it's its own beast like that's probably the better way to say it's its own thing yeah we're always going to make some comparisons to it but anyway man i think that's a great way to sum it up because uh i just wanted to ask that at the end because it's something that was i was thinking about in the morning when i heard that and uh, yeah, I'm not trying to pass moral judgment on any of this. I think it's great. I'm like all for it. But like you said, I think it's, um, yeah, the only investment advice we have on here is like, don't be putting your mortgage into this sort of stuff uh, at all. Like this is like fun play money if you are even doing it. And that's up to you. That's your decision, your research. But it's it's tomorrow this could drop 95%, like all of this stuff. Yeah. So it's it's that's how you should... Uh, think about it approach it. all right mate was there anything else before we log off because i know uh, we're in an hour and a half i think so mate no i uh, think that was good great. that was a good chat i appreciate it yeah thanks for sharing all that man I've, i'm gonna go play around at open sea now and all right some money, all right so. we'll see you in uh, i'll see you on a dm <laughs> somewhere shortly yeah. see you mate yeah or on the street yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah see you in a bit <laughs>